this morning to um, into the book of First Chronicles, chapter twenty-two, and uh, I want to start reading in verse number six there, and just uh, lay a foundation for this message here this morning. And First uh, Chronicles, chapter twenty-two, in verse number six, it is the story of David when God begins to deal with him about building the temple or the tabernacle. And uh, God gives him directive in how to see this temple, this tabernacle built. Verse 6, it says that then he called for Solomon, his son, and charged him to build a house of the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house unto the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build the house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. Behold, my son shall be born unto thee, who shall be named a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies around about, for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and shall, shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish a throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now drop down to verse 14, and it said, Now behold, in my trouble I have prepared for the house of the Lord an hundred thousand shackles of gold, thousand thousand talent of silver, and of brass and iron without weight, for it is in abundance. Timber also and stone have I prepared, and thou mayest add thereto. Moreover, there are workmen with thee in abundance, hewners and workers of stone and timber, and all manner of cunning men for ever manner of work. Of the gold and silver, brass, iron, there is no number. Arise, therefore, and be doing, and the Lord be with thee. David also commanded all of the princes of Israel to help Solomon his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you, and hath he not given you rest on every side? For he hath given thee the inhabitants of the land unto my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise therefore and build the sanctuary of the Lord God and bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be built in the name of the Lord. Amen. On this morning, on this conclusion of I Love My Church, I want to challenge you with this message that I've entitled Being a Multi Generational Church. Being a Multi Generational Church. Uh, This month is a special time for me. Uh, First and foremost, it's the month that I married the uh, love of my life. Amen. And 
I found out that if we stand together, there ain't nothing hell can throw at us we can't conquer. And I want to challenge you with that today. Where there is unity, the enemy cannot destroy. Amen. Uh, it's a month that I got, we got married, Renee and I, and we have two beautiful children. It's also a month that I started in ministry. And uh, I told a couple of times, but uh, June the 28th marks the day that uh, the Lord allows me to live a few more days. That'll be 30 years that I've been preaching the gospel, the great privilege of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in this nation and some of the nations of the world. I would have to take a demotion to become the President of the United States. It is an honor to serve the Lord. Amen. I said it is an honor to serve the Lord. It's also the month that Renee and I were appointed to be your pastor here at the Tabernacle. And uh, we have been celebrating all month the great things that God has done, the growth of the church. Amen. The lives that have been changed as I reflect upon what God has done and, and all of the wonderful things that we see. We've had a 160% increase in, in uh, month, uh, weekly attendance. We have uh, seen uh, increase in our giving. We have seen increase in souls that are being saved. Now, uh, 226 and counting have been saved in the last 24 months. Amen. Uh, some churches can look back over two years and say they haven't even had one person saved. This hasn't happened by accident, but it's because that we have a divine mandate from God and people have bought into the vision and are running with the vision. And, and because of that, we are seeing lives being changed. Amen. It, it, church isn't to be a social club. It isn't to be a place where we just gather together. Yes, we ought to have fellowship. We ought to have unity in the house of God. But it's much more than the Moose Lodge. It's much more than just another social event. It is a place where the manifest presence of God comes into our hearts and into our lives and transforms us from glory to glory. Amen. And so if his presence doesn't dwell, if lives are not being changed, then, then we have to look and reassess and say what's going on. Because the Bible said that where the anointing is, that it destroys yokes and removes burdens. Come on, somebody. And so if that's not taking place, we've got to reassess what's going on because if the burdens are being destroyed and the yokes are being removed, then that tells us that the anointing of God is upon the house. Amen. And so uh, I look at that and the, then the next thing, that's the thing that I rejoice in the most is seeing lives change. But second to that is the fact that we have become a multi-generational church. That we have children's ministry that is impacting children's lives. That we have a student ministry that is making a difference and causing them to become disciples. We have, amen, we have young families that are coming to this place. We have the seniors that are here faithfully and committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. Many churches have uh, generational preferences and they have these wars of generations. 
and the style of church of what it should be and the type of song that should be sung and how ministry should be done. And, and I call it holy wars. The list goes on and on of preferences. But how many know that if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, then we can, we can lay down our preferences and we can come together in unity and we can worship God to whatever, amen, the ministry is, however the song is sung, we just give God some praise and give him the glory. Amen. Hallelujah. You see, uh, the truth of it is, is we cannot just be tolerant of other generations. We must celebrate every generation. Amen. If we don't, if we don't uh, celebrate each generation, then the flow will stop and the church will die. When Renee and I were first married, we were asked to go to a church and to speak to them. Uh, it was a church that dad had went and preached at on different occasions for special occasions. And it was one of my favorite places to go. Uh, if you didn't get there early, you would have a tough time getting a seat. Uh, the place was packed. It was, it was full of electric excitement. And, and it, it you just was a place that everybody loved to go and be a part of. Amen. But I'll never forget the disappointment of that day when I got there and sat in that huge church. And 15 minutes before church was to start, it was the deafening sound of the traffic going by that was all that you could hear. There was no one in the sanctuary at 15 minutes till service time. I uh, got up from there and we walked down the steps and into the classrooms where the d discipleship should have been taking place, only to find every single room in that huge facility full of yard sale junk. I said junk. And I looked at that and I'll never forget what has been etched in my spirit all of these days. It is always in my mind because in years past, it was a vibrant church. In years past, it was a church where the discipleship and generate multi-generations would come together and worship God. But now I see that how that because they, that the, the flow had stopped, that I said, God, this is a church that I never want to pastor. This is never what I want my church to end up to be. And I asked God that day to help me to be pliable, that as I grew older, that I could stay relevant and reach the next generation. Amen. No matter. You see, I know that some folks say, well, that's the kind of music, Pastor. But I want to tell you today, you don't know what kind of music I like. <laughs> you really don't. Because if I did my preference, we would be doing soul music. Yeah. I mean, it'd be so black up in here, all you'd see is just white spots everywhere. Because, you know, that, that song they sing today, uh, you know, like, um, live and he loved me, dying he saved me. Y'all know that? That's a good song, ain't it? But that's white. But a long time ago, the black folks used to sing that song. That ain't no new song. That's an old black song. And it said, living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sin far away, rising he justified and freed me forever. One day he's coming back, one glorious day. It ain't living he loved me. 
I mean, you get down with it, brother. But you see, that's my preference. So I just get me some CDs and I listen to it on my own because, well, anyways. But you see, our preferences, we can have preferences and it's wonderful. But we, we, sometimes if we're not careful, the enemy will take our preferences to divide us. Because he, we, he understands sometimes better than we do that we need each other. I said we need each other. We need our generations to be a, a part of our lives. More than just our generation. The ministry is complete when we begin to connect with multiple generations. Amen. I have, I've been blessed to have many people into my life and speak into my life. And W.H. Hoover has went on to his reward. But whenever I was evangelizing, he was an elderly statesman, but he was a walking Bible. And I would go by his house and I would sit in his living room and just listen to him talk. A man as a young kid preacher. But why? Because he had something to say. He had something that I needed in my life. Amen. I tell you today, we need multiple generations that we may not, the glory of God and the anointing of God will not be cut off. Amen. And so we have to celebrate each generation. And I want uh, to say today that I want to be a part of this, my life, to be a part, not only of the generation in which I live. But when I die, I want to make a difference in the next generation. Amen. If you want to have uh, your life just doing what you do while you live, and, and when you die, you're over with, then you have failed in life. Your life ought to outlive you. There ought to be something that impacts the another generation. And David here in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, he gives us a perfect picture of how each generation should make preparation to hand the work of the kingdom to the next generation. Amen. David's generation gathered the supplies and the resources. Amen. The cost of building what was called Solomon's temple. Today, if we were to build that temple, it would, they, uh, they suggest that it would be $174 billion. $174 billion to build this temple. And David's generation set up Solomon's generation to succeed. How many know that, that, that Solomon's uh, generation would have never been able to gather all of it and bring it all together like he did? But because of David's generation that were able to get the resources, to get all the gold, the silver, the wood, the bronze, and the iron, and brought it all together and set this next generation up so that they might be able to see the glory of the Lord. Hallelujah. How many know that it's important for every generation to have their own experience with God? Thank God for what granddaddy felt. Thank God for what grandmother felt. Thank God for what my parents have experienced. But I can't live on their experience. I can't be able to stand with their experience. Thank God for their testimony. But I have to have a revelation of God myself. I have to have an experience for myself that when the enemy starts raging in my life, I know God personally because of the, the glory that he 
has revealed inside of me that will cause me to be able to stand against the fiery darts of this generation. Amen. Praise God. You see, Solomon's generation did the work and built it, but David's generation brought all of these things to a place where Solomon could do it. In verse 6 through 9, David said, It is in my mind to build God a house, but I can't do it. So God says, Your son Solomon will complete what you started. Amen. That's what we must understand today. It might be called Solomon's temple, but if it was not for a previous generation paying the price and gathering the supplies, Solomon's generation would have never seen the glory of the Lord. Amen. And I tell you that if we we are uh, not, uh, if it were not for Solomon's generation, the temple would have never been built because David's generation was not able physically to do the labor needed to build the house of God. It took both generations bringing, coming together to bring the glory of God into his house. Amen. Neither generation would have seen the sight and sound show that took place in the temple if they had not worked together. Amen. I'm sure that there are differences of opinions on how it should have been done and and what generation would uh, be able to accomplish the task and who got the work done. But I want you to understand the end result was this, that when they came together and there was a generational connection, the glory of God filled the house where they were. Praise God. I want to tell you today that it is no accident that God would Design it in such a way. Some people say it's Solomon's temple, but I want to suggest to you that David finished the course. He finished the job because he did exactly what God had asked him to do, but it was from his loins, another generation that would see the fulfillment of it. And I tell you today that I long to see the glory of God. I want his power and his presence for my generation, but I'm also hungry to see and set up the next generation for success that they too can see the glory of the living God in their generation. They seen a supernatural manifestation of the presence of God because they were willing to come together. Dad, you brought the the supplies. I'm going to build the house. Amen. Amen. And when they got finished, the end result was that the glory didn't just show up and say, that's nice. The glory showed up until the priest couldn't stand to minister. That nobody was standing on the inside. (laughs) I would to the Lord that we would have such a unity in the place that whenever it drove up here on Sunday morning, people standing on the outside saying, what are you doing? Saying, we can't go in there. Because when we're going, everybody falling out. The power of God, the presence of the Lord is in this place. Glory to God. Amen. You see, you say, well, pastor, is that really true? Is that really happened? I want to tell you today that the power of God is real. The glory of God is real. It is something that is tangible. It is something people say, well, I don't believe in, in all of that. I don't, it doesn't matter if you believe it or not. God isn't like a man. God is God. 
His ways are so much higher than our ways. His thoughts so much higher than our thoughts. Amen. And so his power is so much greater than ours that when he shows himself just a little bit, praise God, you cannot stand under his presence and his power. He will manifest his glory. And when his glory is manifested, man must fall, praise God, in his presence. You say, well, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm telling you today that he is so much greater than we are that whenever he just flexes his muscles a little bit, his glory and his power will be revealed that we will not be able, flesh will not be able to stand in his presence, but he will be manifested within our lives. Amen. I'm sure there's differences of opinions of how it should have been done, and it, but in the end, the generations came together. And as those generations came together, we see the manifestation of the glory of God. Because you see, when you start worshiping together in his house, the glory of God came and no man could stand. Whenever he gets glory, he'll show you his glory. Amen. They wrote a song a long time ago and and every once in a while we'll still sing it. But I'm coming back to the heart of worship. Where it's all about you, God. It's all about you. They tell me that that song was wrote out of a time when the church began to depend so much upon the, the... the people that were talented and gifted until it took their, their, their focus off of God and started focusing on man. And, and a pastor was so bold enough to stand up and say, we're not having no more musicians. We're not having no more singing. We're not having nothing until we come into this place and, and we seek the face of God and it becomes all about him. And out of that whatever time period it was, it came back to a place where the the church began to focus again upon God and focus again upon Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And out of that was birthed that song, I'm coming back to the heart of worship where it's all about you. Amen. You see, I want to tell you today that while we have our preferences, it really isn't about me. It's about him. And if I begin to worship him and you begin to worship him and we come together generationally and collectively to worship him. His glory and his presence is going to fill the house. Amen. And as he is lifted up and glorified, amen, he will reveal himself unto us. Amen. You see, we must have generational blessing. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's about the generational. The young in 1 Timothy 4 said, let no man despise thy youth. But be thou an example of the believer in the word and conversation in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Paul tells young Timothy, don't let nobody tell you you're too young. Where we got messed up in the church is that we told kids not if it weren't by words, it was by our actions that you got to get old enough before you can lead. You got to get old enough before you can be involved in ministry. But how many know David was just a little boy when God called him and anointed him the first time? 
I began to preach when I was 14 years old. And whenever I went to preach, people would look at me like, what are you going to tell us that we don't know? And they were right. I didn't have nothing new to tell them. But what they didn't uh, depend on is I was anointed. And so whenever I would share the word to the best of my ability, I would depend on the Holy Spirit to do the rest. And whenever I got finished with what I could do, the Holy Ghost would come and just wreck the place. And they forgot that I was 14 years old. Amen. You see, you, you don't have to wait until you're 20. Where we messed up is, is we, we've told people you've got to get old enough. And then by that time, they've already been sown into their hearts such wickedness and trouble and division. And the enemy is fed on a, a prey upon their lives until they feel as though that they have to wait. And so they don't get engaged in ministry. They don't get engaged in the kingdom of God. And, and then they go off to college and the church never sees them anymore. Amen. You don't have to amen me. I know I'm telling it right. Amen. And we have to impart unto them while they're young. Can I tell you, statistics tell us that this next generation, the generation that is back there in a venture church right now, statistics tell us that in America, only 4% of that generation will be Christian. And we want to wait until they're 18 the devil is a liar. Statistics also tell us that over 70 some percent, and I don't know the percentage exactly, but over 70% of people that will come to Christ will come to Christ before the age of 13. That's the reason. But the enemy has got us engaged in thinking, well, they don't have no money to give, so why should we invest? I'll tell you why we should invest. It's because they have a soul. Amen. And their soul is important. Praise God. And while we may not, this generation may not have it all together, they have something to give. Amen. And so we have to reach that generation, empower that generation. That's the reason we have them involved in ministry and drama and different things, singing. All of these things is because they need to know they don't have to wait until they get X amount of age, but that they can be involved in ministry as children, as students, amen, be involved in the kingdom work of God and making a real difference, amen. Then we have the older. He tells us in Titus chapter 2. And verse 3, it said, The aged women, likewise, that you be in behavior as becoming holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers uh, of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands and love their children, to be uh, discreet, chaste, uh, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God uh, be not Blaspheme, young men likewise exhort to be sober minded. Now, don't get caught up on the gender here because Paul went ahead and threw it in. In case you get caught up on the gender, he says, And young men, you do the same thing. Amen. He said that the aged women are to teach the younger women how to live godly. Amen. How to live soberly, how to honor and respect their husband, how to take care of their family. 
And then he goes on and says that there's the same thing should happen in the men. That the men should, should teach the, the children, the young people, young men, how to be a man. How to love God. How to worship the Lord. Amen. And so there ought to be a handing down from one generation to the next generation. There ought to be an impartation of God and his anointing and his presence in our lives. Amen. He tells us these kind of things. Why? Because Paul knew that there would come a time when the generational blessing would be severed. And we have to have a multi-generational church to be able to accomplish what God is wanting to do in this last day. Amen. That's my prayer for this place. That the generations will come together and bring to the table what they can. Amen. The younger can bring, amen, the strength. They can bring that that is able to build. While the elder can bring the revelation. They can bring the word of God. They can bring some understanding and enlightenment and prepare this next generation to go to where we have never gone before. Amen. For some, you might be, you find yourself in a David generation where that you can gather the resources. Amen. And some may be a place of Solomon's generation who has been strong in your strength and you can build. Amen. So together we can experience the the glory of God in this place. But if we do not have the elder to bring their understanding and the, the younger to bring their strength and work together, then we will not accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. But I'm here today as pastor to say that we need each other. Amen. Not to just uh, tolerate, but to celebrate. Amen. Each other's generation and say, you've got something to bring to the table that I need in my life. And I want to Celebrate what you're doing. Glory to God. See, it takes us coming together to see the glory of God. I said it takes us coming together to see the glory of God. Matthew 18 and verse 20, it said, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. A lot of times we make use that scripture whenever only a couple people show up for Wednesday night. But he ain't talking about the two or three. You can put your emphasis wherever you are or wherever you want to. But I don't believe that the emphasis ought to be put on the two or three. It ought to be together, together. Because he said, if you're together, then you can come and I'm going to be in your midst. If you come together, something is going to happen. If you come together, if by many or by few, God will show up in that situation and he will reveal his power and his glory in your life. Glory to God. Amen. Psalms 133, he said, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Amen. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirt of his garments as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended on the mountain of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing life forevermore. Where is the there? Where unity is. Where people come together. He said, there I'm going to command the blessing. Amen. There is a blessing that can only be gotten, amen, where there is together. There are some things you can get by yourself, but there are some blessings that you'll never get until you come into unity. 
You'll never get it until you come together. Praise God. And you see, God has got us in a place where that we must, it is a mandate upon the church that we must come together in this last day, bring whatever resources we have, bring what we can to the table, amen, and just say we're going to do this thing together, amen. And whenever we begin to do that, God is going to move and minister in our lives. God always shows up where people come together. Peter and John went up to the temple together at the hour of prayer. Amen. They had been there before, but this time they were in unity. They had been to the upper room and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they came together at the hour of prayer and they look and they say, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have, what do we have? We have unity. And out of unity today, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the Bible said he retched out with his right hand. Right hand is a symbol of authority. You can't have authority and power where there's not unity. But when you're walking in unity, you can walk in authority. Glory to God. And they stuck out his right hand, authority, and said, get up. And the man went jumping and leaping and running into the temple. Praise God. You see, in Acts chapter 2, the Bible said that the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were in all one mind, one accord. Amen. They were together together when suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind it filled all the house where they were sitting with cloven tongues of fire it set upon each of them and they were all filled with the holy ghost amen what happened that day they came together i said they came together and when they came together in one place, in one accord, praise God, the glory of God came just like Jesus said that it would. And there, the third part of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit came and began to dwell on the inside of them. Until this time it would come upon them, but now it would come to live in them. Why? Because they came to a place of unity. Now I want to tell you today that when we come together, you can expect great things to happen. Amen people say, well, why is it one day it's exciting, the next day it's boring? I tell you why, because we lose focus and we begin to wonder in our minds and in our spirit. But when we come into this place with one thing in mind, in one accord and say, we've come today to lift up the name of Jesus and to glorify him and give him praise. When we come together, his glory will be revealed and lives will really be changed. Oh, come on and praise him here this morning. David and Solomon's generation came together and built God's house and the glory filled the house. Amen. Whenever generations come together, there isn't nothing the devil can't stop. There's nothing he can stop when generations come together. Amen. Peter and John both went to the tomb. Jesus. John was the younger. So he ran ahead. He outran Peter. Right? How many know whenever he got there, he didn't know what to do with it? He outran Peter. He outran the elder. But whenever he got there, 
and seen the miracle, he didn't know what to do with the miracle. But John outran him, but when Peter got there, because you see, Peter's the one that had the revelation. You walking with me? He's the one that said, who do men say that I am? The son of man am. And he said, well, some said you're Paul and some say you're Apollos. He said, I didn't ask you about man's wisdom. He said, I ask you, who do you say that I am? And he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed this. This isn't wisdom. This is revelation. Amen. And he had, even though John was able to outrun wisdom, he had to wait till wisdom showed up to know what to do with it. Praise God. Why? Because Peter was the one that had the revelation that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm telling you today that we need each other. We need the multi-generational church so that we will be able to see the kingdom of God continue and perpetually advance in this earth, praise God. As God tarries his coming, amen, I'm still a young man. I still have strength and I'm still able to fight. But if the Lord tarries his coming, I refuse to go down to this next generation, a broke down, divided church that has no resources to bring the next move of God. But by his grace, I will invest in another generation. Amen, and with his grace, I want my spiritual DNA to be all over the next generation that God will allow me to be a part of. Amen. And say, hey, I may not be able to run any longer, but I've got something that will impart unto you that whenever you can build, the glory of God will come and his presence will be real in your life. Amen. Whenever you have children, you don't want them to look just like you, but you want them to look more like you than the mailman. Come on, somebody. This generation, I want them to reflect something that God has placed in me. I want to see my fingerprints upon the generation that is coming up. Amen. That if God tarries his coming, that they will have something to build with. They will have something to endure the storms with. Amen. You see, God is wanting us today, amen, to be more than just about our preferences. He wants us to build his kingdom. And if we're willing to put our preferences aside... His glory will come when we bind ourselves together in unity and say, God, it's not about me. It's about you. It's about the next soul that needs to be saved. It's about the next life that needs to be changed. Can I tell you that if this generation does not see the glory of God, America is in a bad place. If we don't see a manifestation of the glory of God in this last day and in the time in which we live, we're headed to the third generation, third, uh, third world countries. Until the Muslims and the Hindus and the Buddhists will 
will be running this country. And we've got to take a stand. Not so we can say that we're greater because whenever we come together in unity, there isn't nobody going to stand in the presence of God. Muhammad's going to step down. Buddha is going to be destroyed because there is no name like Jehovah God. Amen. And we've got to leave something for the next generation and part unto them so that they aren't feeling like they're coming up out of the hole but they're standing on a platform that grandmother and dad and mom have built for them, that they can stand on that platform with authority and declare the goodness of God to their generation. Amen? Praise God. And you see, I'm telling you today, we can't be ashamed, we can't be afraid, and we can't back down, but we've got to know our God. I'm sure you can have testimonies just the same as I, but I want to share with you something I'm proud of as a father. Renee was asking Jordan. Jordan and Destiny went to Christian school for a while, and, and it's not a plug for or against, but they went to Christian school for a while, and, and uh, then we put them into public school. And uh, Renee it came up, I don't know, in conversation the other day, and, and we asked the kids, said, uh, do you want to go back to... Christian school and Jordan quickly spoke up and said no said why why do you say no son he said because I can't minister there like I can where I'm at I thought to myself, he's got more revelation of what we're supposed to be doing than most church folk do that's been there for years because we want to seclude ourselves from everybody else. We want to shut ourselves off. And if we aren't Christian, we don't want nothing to do with them. But how can light penetrate darkness if the light's not where the darkness is? Amen. I want to lead a church, not a church that I described to you in the beginning of this message that has discipleship rooms full of junk to build yard sales, to pay the gas bill. But I want to lead a church that's impacting another generation that will run further ahead than we've ever run before. It's not a disgrace or a dishonor for the next generation to know God in a greater level and a greater dimension than what I am. It's an honor and a privilege for my son and my daughter to know God on a greater dimension and a greater level. It's an indictment against me if they do not. I said it's an indictment against me if they do not. But it's an honor if they know God in a greater way, in a greater fashion, in a greater glory than what I have known him. Amen. Hallelujah. Stand with me today.
you bow your heads with me just a moment?